Let's open our Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 26, if you will, and then I'm going to refer you to another place, just quick as you find that. Exodus chapter 26. We finished the 25th chapter concerning the candlestick. If you'll remember, we read all of the 25th chapter. But if you notice the chapter 26, it starts with the curtains that cover the tabernacle. We're going to study tonight a little bit out of sequence of that because if you turn to the 30th chapter, we'll find one more piece of furniture of the tabernacle that we haven't studied. And so we'll study this tonight out of sequence. So we turn to the 30th chapter actually for our studies. I just wanted you to see where we were and what we finished. In the, we finished the 25th chapter and the 26th will do with the coverings of the tabernacle. But there's one more piece of furniture that is out of sequence and we find it in the 30th chapter. So tonight we'll study in the 30th chapter and then we'll come back to the 26th uh, chapter in our next lesson or if when we finish this. So drop over to the 30th chapter now for our study tonight. This is one of the pieces of the furniture of the holy place. And if you'll notice, if you have the diagram, it's called the golden altar of incense. And if you remember, we studied the candlestick and the table of showbread in the holy place. But this one is not brought up until you get to the 30th chapter. And why, why the... Uh, sequence why it's broken like that and we have to study to get all of them. Uh, I, I don't understand, but that's the way that it's written in the Bible. And the coverings are dealt with and leaving this one piece of furniture, the altar of incense, uh, till you get to the 30th chapter. So open your Bibles to chapter 30 now. And this is the third piece of furniture. Let's read beginning with verse 1 uh, through 11 at this point in time. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. This is the altar of incense. And you see it on your picture there. Uh, it's called the golden altar of incense. And it is golden. And you'll see that it is placed inside the Holy of Holies. Right before the veil. As you look upon your diagram. So, and thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon of shittim wood. Acacia wood. Shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof. That means it's 18 inches. And a cubit the breadth thereof. That's 18 by 18. A little square top on it. And it says, Four square shall it be. And two cubits shall be the height thereof. That would be 36 inches high. It says, The horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. The top thereof and the sides thereof round about. And the horns thereof. And thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. Had a golden crown or a trim all the way around it. And two golden rings shalt thou make uh, to it under the crown of it by the two corners thereof upon the two sides of it. So on every corner it had these golden rings. And remember, the reason for the rings was to place staves in them to carry it with. And thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. Uh, verse 4 now, And two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it, and they shall be for the place for places for the staves to bear it withal. So they put staves in these rings, and the priests, when they had to move it, bore it upon their shoulders, by the way. 
Instead of just carrying it by hand, they bore it upon their shoulders because it was a higher piece of furniture. And I think some of the other pieces were borne the same way. But let's read it on verse 5. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil, that is, by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that is, over the testimony where I will meet with thee. So what you see is that it was right before the veil. Remember, we've used this as a veil. And this is the holy place. And right behind there was the mercy seat. So it was over against. So the mercy seat was just the other side of the veil. That's what it means over against them. The mercy seat. Where I will meet with thee. That's the last part of verse 6. And Aaron shall burn their own sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps. And he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So he came in morning and evening, Aaron, to light the lamps at even. He dressed them of a morning, lit them of evening. Then he burned incense twice a day, morning and evening, upon this altar of incense. We'll talk about what it signifies in a little bit. You shall offer no strange incense thereon. It had to be exactly what God specified. Thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. So, we'll stop right there. And then he tells from verse 11 on down through 16 about the atonement money. Now then, we want to talk about this uh, altar of incense tonight. Remember, we've studied the Ark of the Covenant within the Holy of Holies. And we studied the mercy seat, which was the lid of the covering in the Holy of Holies. And then we came out into this holy place, which is the front part of the tabernacle. And we studied the table of showbread. And we studied the uh, seven branch candlestick. We haven't covered this altar of incense, which was just right here before you entered into the veil. You can see it on your diagram. And uh, that is the fifth piece of furniture. And how we come to five is because the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat are... Though they're one, they're really two pieces. So you have two pieces there. Then you have the table of showbread is three and the golden candlestick four. And this altar of incense would be the fifth of pieces of furniture. And that's what we studied so far. Now, if you remember, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. And this was a picture of Christ's humanity covered with deity because it was all covered with gold. It's a picture of the man Christ Jesus. And in that ark, of course, remember there were three pieces of the three special pieces or articles, the golden pot of manna that speaks of Christ, the bread from heaven. Aaron's rod that budded speaks of his resurrection and his intercession for us. The tables of stone speaks of Christ as our righteousness. And this ark was completely covered uh, by the mercy seat, the ark of the covenant inside. And there were no overhanging edges showing it us that the death of Christ is sufficient for all and any who believe on Christ. But Christ did not die for, for in vain because he, everyone that He died for, 
his, he paid price for their redemption. He extended his grace to all, and the, all who accepted his grace were saved. And the mercy seat was made of one piece of pure gold, hammered out by the hands of men. This is a picture of the sufferings and death of Christ. We said the golden candlestick was made of one piece of gold. And it was hammered out and formed and fashioned after the work of the men that were skilled in that kind of work. There were some hard beatings to beat it down to probably size and then other fine beatings to beat, beat in those knops and those cups and everything that we described earlier on the seven branch candlestick. And this mercy seat behind the veil was the place where God and man met. Of course, we uh, man met in a, by means of a representative. That was the priest that went in there. And so, this is a picture of the suffering and death of Christ where man meets God. You know, we say, speak of Calvary. That we've come to Calvary's cross for our salvation. And this is where sinful man is reconciled to God. And it was here that the blood was sprinkled uh, on the mercy seat and man met God under the merciful hand of God rather than under the justice of God because uh, the blood was sprinkled there that was sacrificed for his sins. And then we talked about the first piece of furniture was a table of showbread. It was made of wood overlaid with gold. And on that table were twelve loaves of bread, each one for one of the tribes of the children of Israel. On the bread there was frankincense, speaks of the sweetness and fragrance of Christ. And the bread and the table were one, shows that we are complete in Christ. And the bread was made of finest flour. There was sufficient bread for those that came to the table. The height of the table was of such that it was in reach of all. Everyone could draw near. The closer the priest got to the table, the closer they got to each other. And we studied the candlestick and the lampstand. And we talked about the lampstand being made of pure gold as well. And this pictures the pure oil on it which pictures the Holy Spirit. It was beaten gold, speaks of the suffering of Christ. And the purpose of that lampstand was to shed light in the holy place. And as the lampstand shed light, it revealed the beauty and the glory of that place, which all of it speaks of Christ. And so anyone on the inside, which was the priest, could see the beauty and glory of that holy of holies. When we get to these coverings, the embroidered work of fine linen over the would be like our ceiling, and we've already touched upon it, but our next lesson will be upon that in detail. But now we come in this chapter, verses 1-10, through 10, to the altar of incense. And this fits into the pattern of approaching God. Uh, remember, we're coming from within where God's presence is, the Shekinah glory over that behind the veil that overshadowed the mercy seat. We're coming out. And the one piece of furniture that we haven't touched upon was this altar of incense right in front of the veil. We talked about the table of showbread and this uh, golden candlestick. But remember, in order to come from the outside in, you had to come by the brazen altar. Look at your diagram. You had to come, first of all, through the gate of the court. You had to come by that brazen altar. And then you had to come by that brazen laver. Then you had to come into the Holy of Holies. So we've been approaching the dealing with it from the inside out instead of from the outside in. Later on, we've already remarked when you get over to uh, the description of how it was built, you'll find that it starts with the gate and the brazen altar and then it comes inside. 
And the approach is from outside to inside. But we said that God approaches man first, and then man approaches God. That's the way it's always been. God approaches man. God approached Adam in the Garden of Eden, didn't He? He said, Adam, where art thou? Well, God knew where He was. But you didn't find Adam saying, God, where are you? No, he was ashamed and he hid himself amongst the trees of the garden. So, that's why we come now to study this altar of incense because it fits into the pattern of approaching approaching God. We just read it in the 30th chapter. And only the priests had the privilege of entering into the sanctuary and approaching God from the outside. And only a believer priest can enter into the presence of God. Only a believer can enjoy the presence of God. You see, to get inside this sanctuary, you had to come from the outside. And to get into God's presence, you had to go behind this veil. And that's where God's presence was. And only a believer can enjoy that presence. And until uh, the fire is kindled and kept burning perpetually, there can be no drawing, drawing nigh to God because there had to be a perpetual fire upon this altar of incense. And the materials used, of course, is acacia wood, which uh, shittim wood or acacia wood, speaks of, of the humanity of Christ. And the gold that it was covered with speaks of the deity of Christ. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, if you want to write it down, it shows us that God was manifest in the flesh. Let me read that for you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. And there's a whole series of sermons on that because you have Him manifest in the flesh, flesh and all these details about the person of Christ. But that shows His deity. And there's no access to God but through Christ, through deity. He is the way. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He says that, I believe, in John chapter 14, verse 6. If you want the reference, I don't have it written down here, but I believe it's the right verse. And no man can come unto God except by Him. He says, no one. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And He says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And the position, we said the materials of this altar is what we just pointed to, but then the position of the altar is we've already explained it right here before the veil. Now then, there was another altar, but it stood outside, and that's the brazen altar. Look on your diagram. See, you have a brazen altar just inside the gate. Then you have that golden altar of incense in the holy place just before the veil, just before you enter into the Holy of Holies. You need I, The reason I keep repeating this, some people don't understand, that the holy place is here and the Holy of Holies is there. This altar of incense is just before the veil before you enter into the Holy of Holies. I'm tempted to get into a description of it after Christ died because when Christ died... You find the book of Hebrews, it tells of the altar of incense and, and, and the Ark of the Covenant almost just together because the veil in the temple was rent in the midst from the top to the bottom and it just made it all open. So it would be very close in proximity to the 
to the Ark of the Covenant within the veil. In other words, you tear down the wall and here it says. It's all together. And in Hebrews 9, that's the way it's described. I mean, Hebrews, let me, I said I was tempted. Let me give it to you. In Hebrews chapter 9, I believe it is. And I want you to notice as we read it, beginning with verse 1. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Beginning with verse 1, Hebrews 9. For there was a tabernacle made, the first. Now look at this description. The first, that means the holy, of the holy place. The first wherein was the candlestick. That's what we've been studying. And the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Now look at this. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant. Well, in Exodus, in the first section was the uh, golden censer. But in Hebrews, now, after the death of Christ, and Paul is writing and describing, it says in the Holy of Holies had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant. He puts them both together. You see why? Because the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. This is after the death of Christ. That is thus described. It's described in Exodus as before the veil. It's described in Hebrews, as if there were no separation between. You see what I'm talking about? And that's very important. Notice in verse 3 now again, And after the second veil, the tabernacle which called the whole, is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies. Look, verse 4, Which had the golden censer, it wasn't there before, and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about uh, with gold, wherein was a golden pot that had manna and the Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant and over it the cherubims of glory shattering the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. You see that? And that's why you have it thus described a bit different than you have it described in the book of Exodus. Because what happened? When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says all these things took place. The great earthquake took place. And, and uh, many of the saints that were dead arose and appeared to many after His resurrection. It says, And the veil of the temple right here was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. So that would expose this altar of incense right here to the mercy seat and to the Ark of the Covenant behind it and would make it appear as if it were in the Holy of Holies. That's why you find Paul describing thus in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. There's not many people have detected why it's, why it's uh, described differently in Hebrews than it is in Exodus. The may, what made the difference was Jesus' death on the cross. Amen. And what made it different was the veil in the temple was rent in the midst from the top to the bottom. And that's what opened up the way to every priestly person into God's presence. And by the way, the way is open to priestly people because you and I are priests in the sight of God. It doesn't open the way. Some have said it opens the way for the sinner. No, the way for the sinner is the brazen altar of sacrifice where the sin offering is offered at that gate on your picture. I may, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll get there right now anyway. Look in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I want you to notice verse 9. He says, I pray for them. And that's the ones that were given Him. And we could expound the whole thing, but it would take too long. But look, I pray not for the world. Look at that. He's, he did all He could for the world. He died for the world, right? 
But he says, I pray for them. But he says, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. In other words, the priestly person, that's God's children, can come into this presence of God. But the unsaved man cannot come in here until he comes by that brazen altar out front where sin offering is offered. And he's accepted as a sinner. The only, the only prayer God will answer for the un... You know, you've heard people say, God answers everybody's prayer. No, He doesn't answer everybody's prayer. You know why? The only prayer that God will answer for the unsaved person is God be merciful to me, a sinner. In other words, he has to be saved first. And then he's in a position <coughs> to get his prayers answered and to get in the presence of God because he becomes a, a child of God and a, 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 and a priest in his own right. And remember, look over in First Peter. I'm really getting off track now. First Peter chapter 2. If you notice... Uh, to show that the believers are those that have been saved are truly priests in the sight of God. Look in First Peter chapter two, verse five. It says, "Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood." Look at this: to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And drop on down in verse seven. Unto you, therefore, which believe. So who's he talking about? Believers. He is precious. Now then, drop on down to verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. That means a special people. That means a purchased people, actually. A specially purchased, bought children of God. Uh, that you, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So what's the point we're making? Is that to enter into God's presence, the unsaved man has to start out there where uh, the brazen altar is a symbol of, of Calvary's cross where Jesus bore our sins. That's where the sacrificial uh, lambs were offered. That's where the blood was shed. That's where you find it pictures Calvary's cross. We sing the song, By the way of the, way of the cross leads home. If you're going to get into God's presence, you have to start out there at the gate. By the way, there's only one gate too. Only one door. Uh, you see what I'm talking about? So that when you come in thus far into God's presence and people say, well, every, every person can enter right into God's presence now. No, not so. This was for the priest to enter by this altar of incense. We'll tell you what the altar of incense represents in a moment. But it was for priests. Now, in the Old Testament, there were Aaron and his sons. But now, in the New Testament, it's you and I who have been saved. We're of the family of God. We're, we're priests in our own right. You're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a peculiar people. It means a purchased people. And so, if you've been purchased... If you come by this brazen altar out there that symbolizes Calvary's cross and accepted Jesus as your Savior and His blood shed for you, you can enter on in. But if not, the sinner's on the outside of this court. He's on the outside completely. And he has to come through the gate and he has to present that sacrifice or it has to be presented for him before he can even progress any further into the presence of God. And by the way, if you look at your brazen labor, look at that labor on your diagram. Look at it. Okay? 
Even the priest could not enter into that holy place until he was washed in the laver, cleansed. He had to wash his hands and feet before he could go in. See what I'm talking about? There's a lot of things that take place before the sinner can get into God's presence. The first thing he has to do is confess his sins. And then he can enter in God's presence because he's cleansed through the blood of Christ. So, we need to get that in our minds. Approach to God is not just for... You say, well, you know, I've heard here's a fellow that is unsaved and he prayed that God would do so and so. Well... First of all, he has to accept the Lord as his Savior. That's the order of it. Then he can get his prayers answered. And that's why Jesus said, I pray not for them. Jesus loved the whole world, but he did all he could do for the whole world. Right? He died for the whole world. And so he says, I pray not for them, but I pray for those whom thou hast given me out of the world. He says, they're thine. They're mine. That's why he prayed for them. And by the way, all of this pictures Christ as our intercessor on high. He's the one that really represents us in the Holy of Holies. Turn to Hebrews 9 again. Hebrews 9 again. <clears throat> Verse 12. 9-12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place. Now look. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. Alright. Now then. Drop on down uh, to verse 24. For Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands. That was the tabernacle, the temple. He is not entered into holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself. It figured the true holy place in heaven now to appear in the presence of God. Look at that word again. For us. So, I think that we get the point. Let's turn back and study some more about the altar of incense. We studied, uh, studied about its position and uh, just, as that, just as the brazen altar was at the entrance of the court on your diagram and no one could enter the tabernacle except by the brazen altar, so the golden, golden altar of incense stood at the gate of the Holy of Holies and uh, once the sin question has been settled, the believer is immediately allowed into the presence of God. And then nothing can shut him out. When you've been, been by that altar, a brazen altar outside, and you come in, then nothing can shut you out from God's presence because you've come the necessary way. And the use of the altar. Let's get to the use of the altar. We studied about the materials. We studied about the position, the materials it was made of, and the position of the altar. And we showed you the difference between the position in the book of Exodus and the position in the book of Hebrews. You see, there is a difference. It's really in the same place, basically, but the veil being rent in the midst made it more or less in the Holy of Holies instead of the holy place because it was so open then. Because you have these other pieces. If you look at your... A diagram, you notice the table of showbread and the golden candlestick is just way out in the, in the holy place. But the altar of incense is right before that veil. So when the veil and temple was rent in twain, it just appeared to be all together. And that's why you find the difference in the book of Hebrews. Now then, the use of the altar. Aaron was to burn incense there on morning and evening. 
And we read it in verse 7 and 8. Look at verse 7 and 8. You still have Exodus 30 open? Verse 7 and 8. It says, <coughs> And Aaron, excuse me, <coughs> and Aaron shall burn their own sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps. He shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it. it a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. Now look, you shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour a drink offering thereon. So let's stop there for a moment. There's much more to teach. So we're talking about the use of it. Now then, this incense, this was a perfume. It was a sweet odor. It was, a, it was burnt on the altar. And the action of the fire brought out the fragrance of it. And they got the fire off of the brazen altar. Out The fire was kindled out there on the brazen altar, symbolical of the, of the sufferings and death of Christ. Look in Leviticus 16, verse 12 and 13. Leviticus 16, verse 12 and 13. 12 and 13. And this is... Concerning the sin offering on the Day of Atonement, but let's notice 12 and 13. It gives you some insight on what we're talking about. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire, look, from the altar before the Lord, and in his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat, that is upon the testimony that he die not. Now then, the uh, burning coals of fire from off the altar, that means the brazen altar. That's where he got the burning coals outside. And that fire had to be carried in. And this, this fire was what would burn the incense upon this altar of incense inside. You see, we could not come to God in prayer except through the death and sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary and therefore we can come into His presence and that makes our prayers acceptable. If you look in uh, the book of Hebrews again, chapter 9, uh, well, chapter 10 is where we'll go this time, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, I want you to look at this. And having therefore, brethren, boldness, look at this, to enter into the holiest, now what? By the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. You see, that blood was shed on the brazen altar out there. The sacrifice was made out there. By a new and living way, which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, through His death on the cross, through the veil here. And having the high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with, uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, the cleansing and everything that took place in order to get into the presence of God is typified here. Or, or it's the fulfillment of that typical meaning in the Old Testament. Alright, let's continue. They got the fire off the brazen altar. We gave you Leviticus 16, verse 12 and 13. And the same fire that consumes the sacrifice brought out the fragrance of the incense. The fire was a type of, of the searching judgment of God. And it was through this that Christ passed uh, upon the cross when He bore our judgment. And God was satisfied when He smelled the sweet fragrance of that action. 
remember, I believe in our last lesson, probably we mentioned it, we mentioned it in several places, but Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, I believe it was, where it says, And walk in love, as Christ also has loved us, now listen, and has given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Remember, I pointed out for us, a sin offering. And to God for a whole burnt offering as a sweet-smelling savor. Ephesians 5.2. If you don't have it, write it down. Ephesians 5.2. Because I pointed out time and time again how that it was for our sins that Christ died on the cross, but it was a sacrifice, it was a sweet-smelling savor unto God. It was both. In fact, it was more than that because we study the offerings in the book of Leviticus and you'll find it was for a peace offering, it was for a sin offering, it was for a trespass offering and a whole burnt offering to God. And the whole burnt offering was a sweet-smelling odor to God. And so that when God saw the travail of His soul, He was satisfied. And the sweet smell of His sacrifice went up to God in heaven. And it was perfectly satisfactory to God. He says, Father, I do always those things that please Thee. And you, you need to get both of these aspects, at least those two. Of course, when we study in Leviticus and we get the offerings, you'll find the peace offerings included. You'll find that the trespass offering is included. So that even our sins that we commit today, we have, a, we have the provision for them. But First John says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. It says, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth. It still covers our trespasses, our sins and our trespasses. Cleanses us from all sin. And the word cleanseth is continuous action. That means it keeps on cleaning us. We're saved and clean, but we're cleansed daily. So there was a sin offering and there was a trespass offering. The sin offering took away our sins once and for all. The trespass offering provided for our daily failures, sins and shortcomings. I mean, everything's covered in the death of Christ. We're completely covered. We're completely saved. Uh, Paul says, you're complete in Him. So, the incense typifies the fragrance of Christ to God. He came to do the Father's will. He did always those things that pleased the Father. And on the Day of Atonement... And that's what we've been studying in Leviticus chapter 16. On the day of atonement, when Aaron went into the, uh, in it, went in with the incense into the holy of holies and sprinkled the blood upon the mercy seat, so Christ entered once with His own blood. We've already pointed that out. Hebrews 9:12. And it is when it is what He is that gives the blood its unspeakable preciousness, the precious blood of Christ. Aaron is a type of Christ and a type of uh, Christ at the altar in the holy place. And right now, He is burning incense, making intercession for us. Not literally, but Christ is making intercession for us. Look at Hebrews 7, verse 25. You ought to write this one down. Hebrews 7, verse 25. It says, <clears throat> well, let's read verse 24 and 25. But this man, referring to Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 
He is ever living and ever making intercession for for you and I. He's doing that now. He's burning that sweet incense in the presence of God for us. We have much more to say because we want to talk about later on how that not only is He interceding for us, but how that we find ourselves as priests coming into God's presence and being acceptable through Christ's intercession. So He's the burning incense now, and the incense is always acceptable to God. This teaches that intercession cannot, that His intercession cannot fail. And the incense was perpetual, remember? We read where it was day and night, didn't we? Let's see. Look at verse uh, uh, 8. And Aaron lighteth the lamps at evening, he shall burn the incense upon it, a perpetual incense. Verse 8. And I'm talking about Exodus 30, verse 8. Or hold your place where I'm studying. I don't always get you back there. Exodus 30, verse 8. Hold your finger right there in the Bible. It says a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So as this was a perpetual incense throughout their generation, so Christ is a perpetual incense or intercessor for us in the presence of God. The incense is always acceptable. And Aaron at the altar of incense is a figure also of the believer. And we've already said, inasmuch as all believers are priests. He's not only a, a uh, type of Christ, but at this altar of incense, he's a figure of the believer. Because as all believers are priests, so we can go here where Aaron used to go in the Old Testament. Isn't that an amazing thing? That God has made it so that we don't have a, a priest to go or preacher or anyone else upon this earth. We go into God's presence because we're believer priests. It is Christ, and in all, He is God, which is presented to God in worship. And not our feelings or thoughts or emotions, but we come through Christ. He comes for us. What does this incense picture? Incense is a symbol of prayer. Let me give you two references. We won't have time to finish this, but we'll get part of it. Incense is a symbol of prayer. Look at Psalm 141, verse 2. Psalm 141 and verse 2. Notice it says, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Let my prayer. And then turn to Revelation chapter 5. In verse 8, even in glory, when we're represented there, by the, and we are represented by the 24 elders here, in Revelation chapter 5, 